Rather than symptom-based therapy, this therapist prefers to focus on core issues like shame resilience, vulnerability, self-trust, and self-worth. But what does self-worth have to do with money? Let's hear from licensed professional therapist and registered play therapist and EMDR certified and yoga instructor certified, Vanessa Sanford. Vanessa, thank you for being here today. You're welcome, it's an honor. So give us a little just entry point to this idea of self-worth and our mm -hmm. connection to our ideas of money. Yeah, I think it really starts with questions. What does, what is your relationship with money? What were you modeled as a kid with how people managed and were in relationship? What does it mean? When you even think about the word self-worth, it is this enoughness. And when it intersects with money, how do we embody and integrate enoughness with money? With money, with health, with mental health, with physical health, with hygiene, with rest, how do we embody worth? And it's interesting that the word self-worth has the word worth in it, which is a money word. And so it's a question to reflect on and learn about your own culture, about what you've been taught. I think it's a really good question for all of us to ask. What's this idea of enoughness? Mm -hmm. I, that spoke volumes. I could mm -hmm. brought up a lot of things for me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's gonna be different for everybody, but when I think about the word enoughness, it's this, I go into this very human need to belong, to be loved and seen and understood and connected. And money plays a part of that in a lot of our ways. We are taught socially that if you have value in your bank account, you are worth more. If you are productive, you are worth more. If you meet a certain standard of success that is identified or defined by your culture and your family and what we decide um, in society, you're worth more. But at the bottom of it is, do, am I enough? Meaning, am I safe? Am I loved? Do I belong? Is that a question that we're innately asking since birth, or is there something in our developmental process that's bringing us to a place to question our worth? I think, I don't know if I could answer that for everybody, but I do think it's a question that's just as essential, belonging is just as essential as food and water and safety. It is how we're wired as human beings. We want to belong. And money can create this, scarcity mindset of I have to meet some standard to then access belonging. And that's really complicated and, and just really quick with belonging. Um, I don't know everybody's understanding of it, but it is an essential need to survive. And sometimes we get belonging confused with fitting in. Fitting in is how do I assimilate? How do I shape shift? How do I edit? How do I do or say whatever I need to say to get into a group, get into some form of acceptance, but you gotta keep that level up to stay in the group. Belonging is I get to be me, and that's complicated. Um, but I also have to say, I, I'm not the biggest fan of promoting be authentic everywhere. Um, 
because I know it's tattoos and t-shirts and bumper stickers to be you, be authentic. I think that the people who actually get to practice that everywhere have the most privilege and power. I think if you're a marginalized, oppressed person, it may be unsafe. And so those are things that um, money plays a part of. And to think about money, I don't want it to exclude our need to belong, our need to feel like we're enough. And exploring that is something I don't think a lot of people do around money. No, I don't think so at all. It tends to be a very logical conversation. Yeah. And people, I think, typically will assume that it needs to be a structured one too. Yes. Uh, and then you form your action plan based on methodical steps. Mm -hmm. And we totally exclude not just um, maybe some baseline emotions that we might be feeling, anxiety or the desire to buy something, mm -hmm. but probably a lot of those other things that you mentioned where there's shame, we're stuffing the idea that we want to keep up with somebody or we want to be seen a certain way. Yes. Those things probably get compartmentalized by people a lot. Yeah, I, I love logic. I'm a fan and I think it's very helpful. I think it reduces a human experience if we just focus on logic. Um, because the way that I think about emotions is it's information, it's data. And if we're excluding it, we're excluding a, a, a very big part of a human experience. And I always use the language in therapy, uh, we're not math formulas. Mm -hmm. We're not this simple, if you follow these steps, it equals this. But a lot of the language socially is like that. If it, it promises you, if you do things in a certain way, it guarantees you happiness or wealth or success. But if we look at many of our own individual stories, there's not a linear path to any of that. And you brought up shame, and, and I, if you're okay with it, I'd like to spend just a little bit of time on that because it's really important and it can get in the way of our relationship with money. And just really quickly, I think about our relationship with money the same way I think about our relationship with physical health, nutrition, hygiene, rest, and mental health. It's all under this umbrella of health. And it's not something that I think we just follow a math formula and we land in health. It's a daily practice. We would never say, you know what, I'm really done brushing my teeth. I've brushed it for 44 years. I'm good. <laughs> or I've slept uh, enough. I don't have to sleep again. Or, you know, I've worked out enough. I don't have to continue to be, um, build my strength or, um, you know, be physically fit or challenge my body. We do that sometimes with mental health and we sometimes do that with money. It's something to manage. It's something to be responsible for on a daily basis, kind of like laundry. Um, it never ends. You have to do it all the time and be on top of it or you end up in your underwear or your bathing suit, you know? <laughs> um, but shame is tricky because the idea about shame is the opposite of enoughness. If, mm. if I am in shame, then I don't believe I'm enough. And shame has rules. Shame wants things to be a secret, which is complicated with money because there is a lot of shame around money. A lot of people don't want to talk about money or are afraid to talk about money or will fear they get judged based on their relationship with money or they don't want to acknowledge that the amount they spend versus the amount they save is imbalanced um, or even in businesses that aren't transparent about salaries or how much people make. There's a lot of secrecy, not just in an individual, but in a culture and in a system 
about how we talk about money. And shame, if it has secrets, that's what it needs to keep growing. And it also needs you to believe that there's never enough for you to do to become, um, it, it have a sense of belonging. And the other thing with shame, I think is so in, in, important around money, is shame and accountability do not coexist. They, they don't live well together. And because shame wants things to be hidden. And so for us to be accountable, it does require um, honesty, accountability, responsibility, transparency, direct conversations, feedback, giving and receiving, being able to sit in a conversation about money and not get checked out or dysregulated, but to stay present. And that's hard. It's really hard. And not a lot of people, and maybe that sounds judgmental, um, know how to talk about money well. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the biggest complications in partnerships is, a, is money. And it's a big struggle for a lot of people. But if it's not talked about, it stays, it stays that way. Right. Now, but what's, what guidance can you give? There's some variances, I think, between honesty um, and vulnerability mm -hmm. and transparency mm -hmm. because um, we know that uh, people have to earn the right to hear certain things. Yes. Um, so how do we you know, change, help change and shift society's thoughts around money conversations to be open, but not so open? You know, mm -hmm. how, so how do we start individually thinking about the differences between these things? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a huge difference between oversharing and vulnerability, and yeah. you just named it, which is who's earned the right to hear it. And one of the things that I think about is if we stay in logic and we are listening to um, point out what you need to do better, um, it may exclude honesty. If I'm just listening and taking what you're saying and saying, no, that's wrong, here's what's right. If I'm coming in as a knower and not a learner, if I'm not being curious, but I'm acting like I know better than you about your own financial literacy, mm -hmm. um, I'm going to probably edit what I say to you. So how, how we are in relationship with each other is less about logic, it's more about being human. It's humanizing our relationship with money that I think allows for a little bit more flexibility in discussing honesty and transparency and vulnerability. But I think that that gets missed with money. I think it stays really logical. And I think listening from a place of a learner can help open up somebody who maybe have shame about their relationship with money if they're coming to an advisor or they're saying, help me. Um, or they're in trouble and they need help in some way, um, there's a lot of shame around it. So if oh, we yeah. go in and just directly say, here's what's wrong, um, then I don't know how helpful that is to build trust. And trust is a big deal. And just a quick example, there's a, um, a really famous story by Sean Acor, and he is a researcher for happiness. He was a professor at Harvard. And he tells a story in his research about happiness that um, there was an accountant and he was a very successful accountant and he thought it would be a great idea to create a spreadsheet for his partner about all the things she needed to improve on in their relationship. 
because he does that for his clients all the time and they're so grateful. And so he was real convinced that this would go well. So he created the spreadsheet and we all know it didn't go well. And so sometimes the way that we show up in business doesn't translate into our own home and our own family and our own intimacy with the people that we love if it's just reduced to a spreadsheet. Because we're not spreadsheets, we're not numbers, we're humans. And so I challenge anybody talking about money to humanize it, not dehumanize it, by using language that creates um, more empathy and more compassion. Um, so you're welcoming more honesty. But the tricky part is with honesty and vulnerability and transparency is if I'm going to be open with you, if I'm going to tell you the truth about my relationship with money, how are you handling that? Yeah. If you immediately judge, if you immediately interrupt, if you tell me I'm wrong, if you shame me, that honesty goes away very quickly. It dissolves. So this is why logic can't really do that job. It needs to be the humanity of it, the compassion, the empathy of it. And those are little moments of trust. All these little moments of trust. If I say, I have this problem with money and you go tell me more, or thank you for telling me, I, I wanna help you. I'm curious about how you got there or what does money mean to you? That's different than you've done it wrong. Let me give you this math formula. And for some people, they just need that logic. Mm -hmm. So this isn't for everybody, you get to decide. But if you try logic with everybody, you may exclude and be inequitable about people who really need your help. Um, we need to have a, um, a little bit more um, flexibility and just holding space for somebody with their relationship with money. And that all builds trust. And it's remarkable that um, it's such a small thing mm -hmm. to create that space and an even simpler one mm -hmm. to destroy it. Oh, yes. And I think about those of us who are in the finance sector. Um, I don't work with individuals, but you know, mm -hmm. know many people that do and have witnessed it. And you see the conversations where it's already scary for somebody to come into your office yeah. and be vulnerable enough to say, I don't even know where to start. Correct. Um, to have someone say, okay, well, we're going to fix that. Yeah. And even just the tone, our demeanor, it can change everything about mm -hmm. the feeling of the room. Yeah. How can we, especially those of us that are have lost the ability to speak human <laughs> and maybe are, are too machine wired, mm -hmm. how can we learn to uh, practice empathy mm -hmm. truly, not mm -hmm. just say, ask a question and sit still <laughs> and hope that that is enough to be empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about it ethically, right? I think about it in how do I want to be able to build trust? So a couple things that I think are really important. We have to remember, and this is not just in money, this is in medicine as well. This is even in my office in therapy. We have to recognize the imbalance of power already in the relationship. That's really important already. And the imbalance of, of power, we have to be responsible with it, which is why I use the word ethics. So for example, if, if I'm going to a doctor's office and they're coming in knowing that they have five minutes with me and 10 minutes of paperwork for insurance, and within the five minutes I'm supposed to be diagnosed with the self-reporting symptoms that I'm sharing, it's a lot of pressure. It's hard to be human in five minutes. It's hard because you feel rushed. Mm 
-hmm. And then for a lot of us, um, we may have been taught that because they're doctors, they know everything. And so I'm not allowed to question. I'm not allowed to say, I don't agree, or please slow that down, or I don't understand what you're saying. You're talking in medicine language, and can you, you know, translate into human language? And so we're afraid. And so that imbalance of power is there. And if they're rushing, we don't know it's okay to speak up. And if we are um, a different gender or a different race, or if we have some marginalization in our own experiences, that may also impact the imbalance of power of speaking up. And so that's bedside manner, right? Is to really think about how am I showing up with this human being and reaching over, not because I'm the one that knows everything, but because I wanna help. And that's the same in therapy. I have to be very cautious about what I say in therapy because what I say may be taken very seriously and that could do harm. If I'm not checking in and understanding, is there comprehension here? Am I speaking in an elite way that is condescending to you? Or am I speaking in a way that you walk away feeling empowered? That's the same with money. It can come off very condescending and elite that you know as the advisor more than me. And then that makes me not want to trust you. And then I may tell you what you want to hear. And then that gets in the way of building trust. So the ethical part is to, yes, bring the logic. We, that's, we want the logic, but we want it wrapped in humanity. And to me, that will make you more successful if you look at somebody as a human, not as a problem. I love that. I want to see the world shift towards that. Now, how can we that are maybe on the education side or the financial yeah. professional side, um, how can we check in with individuals that we may be working with to see is Pitt's landing or how it might be landing or if we need to shift? What are some of the tells? Mm -hmm. It's all about feedback, right? And there's this great um, language around, am I sitting next to you and the problems in front of us? Or, am, or is the problem between us, right? And so it's checking in. It's leaning into curiosity. How's this going for you? Do you feel heard? Is this what you want to talk about? Did you get your answer? Did, did, you, get your, um, did you get your question answered? Um, take your time. These are just things that all of us would probably want to hear instead of feeling like we're just doing a drive-through, like it's just we quickly run through it. And part of that is, do you have the energy to sit with somebody? You know, are you owning your own awareness about what time and energy you're putting in with this client or not? Or education, teaching that humanity of, can I sit next to somebody right now and hold space? Because if I'm rushing through it, I'm gonna miss something. So really thinking about curiosity and being able to just check in. I wanna know what you think. I wanna do a good job for you, which means I wanna hear from you what you say matters. Those are very affirming ways to build trust. I think this is a phenomenal challenge for those of us that are in the financial sector to yeah. have a really sharp um, slap of reality <laughs> of what we really need to be thinking about going into it rather than the number side of things. Yes, and, and a quick way to just do that slap in the face, but maybe just a softer one, <laughs> is to think about how would you want to be spoken to and how would you want your loved ones to be spoken to if they're going to a professional? Do you want them to be dehumanized and, 
and reduced to logic or do you want somebody to bring in care and, and thoughtfulness and ask for feedback and be curious? If we want that for the ones that we love, then that's something for us to be challenged to be responsible with when we're providing it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And just really, I, I've brought up the word trust and it's a big concept. So I, I, don't, I don't wanna assume that people know that. And I, the kind of therapist I am is I like to really ask, do you know what that word means? What relationship do you have with that word? Um, trust is huge and I don't think we um, use it well and just as a reference Brene Brown is a really good reference I've learned a lot from her and she has this great video called the anatomy of trust and it breaks down the research that her and her team have done there's seven elements of trust and it's great to be able to have a productive conversation about any topic and so the, the BRAVING TRUST is the acronym. It stands B is boundaries, R is reliability, A is accountability, V is vault, which means has somebody earned the right to hear your story and do you have the right to share somebody's story? And then I is integrity, um, N is non-judgment, and G is generosity. So these are all huge concepts too. So I don't want to rush through that. And so there's a great video called The Anatomy of Trust on her website. Um, that gives you more detail, but that is some great talking points. So if there's something to check in around money, then we can say, all right, there's some trust we're building, but we're having a reliability issue. Mm. What you're saying and what you're doing don't match. So let's focus on that to build more self-trust in you or trust with whoever there's been a rupture. Or we're, ha we're doing really good on most of the areas of trust, but I feel like there's an area that's pretty judgmental and not generous. So let's work on that piece. And these are just great talking points to help build trust around any discussion, but discussions about money. Yes. Oh, well, I thank you so much for your insight and perspective. This has been really eye-opening. You're welcome. Thank you.